When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Live Free Creative, the podcast that provides inspiration and ideas for living a creative, adventurous, and intentional lifestyle. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, and I hope that each time you listen, you feel a little bit more free to live your life exactly the way you want to live it. Hello there. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Miranda Anderson, and you are listening to episode 140 of the Live Free Creative Podcast. Hey, Google, do I have depression? (laughs) I am excited to share this episode with you because even though the topic is tricky, I think that it's important and something that we need to talk more about. Mental health as real health just as valid and important as our physical health. And today I'm going to share some personal experiences with this topic. Before I dive in, I want to share a quick pause for a poem. They say that happiness will find you, but I think sadness finds you too. It sneaks up on you in darkness just when you think you've made it through. It opens holes in what was solid ground, the kind you never know were there, until you go to take another step and find you're standing over air. The world around you passes by in blurs of color and sound, nothing around you making sense as you continue your plummet down. You can't remember how it started and you don't know when it will end. But you know you'd give anything to stand up on your feet again. Sadness is that feeling when the falling doesn't stop and it saps your life of meaning and all good things that you've got. So when you finally hit rock bottom and you look back up at the sky, what you once had seems so far away. The only thing left to do is cry. People all yell out, save yourself calling things about happiness and hope, but they're too busy with their own lives to realize it'd be a lot quicker if they let down a rope. Sadness by Aaron Hansen. What a beautiful poem. It reminds me a little bit of the Disney Pixar movie Inside Out. Do you remember watching that movie and being surprised in the end that sadness was such a key role? (laughs) 
although happiness wanted to just be there all the time and solve everything and make it all right all the time, that sadness was important and valid and worth discussing, worth exploring, worth listening to. At the end of the poem, the poet offers the idea to let down a rope to those experiencing sadness or depression or anxiety, overwhelm, mental health problems. And this episode today is my rope to those of you who are listening who need to hear a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of a personal, candid experience, a friend inviting you to get the help that you need if you need it. There's a lot of you listening who this might be an interesting story and you know some insight into the world of mental health that you didn't know before, uh, and it won't go a whole lot deeper than that. And there's maybe a handful of you listening who really need to hear the personal experience of someone that you listen to, someone that you trust, letting you know that there's more help available to you than just the message of happiness and hope and, you know, taking care of yourself and taking long baths and self-care, but that you may actually need some psychological help. You may need some therapy. You may need some medication and that those things are all as important as positive thinking. This episode is an interesting one for me to share because I like positive thinking. (laughs) I'm an optimist. I believe in the power of positive thinking, the power of gratitude, the power of mindset and self-management and taking care of ourselves in little ways like getting enough sleep and drinking a lot of water and exercising and hiring a babysitter when needed. And so it has felt difficult for me to acknowledge and accept on a very personal level that those things are not always the whole picture, that they're not always the, the total answer. And for as much as I've been a mental health advocate in the past, this last few months, I've had to take a really close look at my own inner beliefs about mental health care as it pertains to myself, which, you know, is sometimes often different than saying, you know, it's good for you, but it's not necessary for me or or not as important for me or not as real for me. And I am grateful to have had friends and family supporting me and letting down that rope to remind me that even though I love positive thinking, I love making gratitude lists and there is research as well as personal anecdote to support that those things make a huge impact, that there's also a necessity to recognize mental health as the holistic picture of physical health. Our brains are part of our bodies. And just as we would care for a broken arm or, um, you know, our hormone imbalance from our thyroid, we also can recognize and not need to be afraid of or ashamed of taking care of balancing our physiology as it pertains to our mental health as well. Eight weeks ago, I was laying in my bed. It was probably 7.30 or 8 at night. We had finished dinner 
And I told my family, I am done for the day. I'm going to go up and go to bed. And I laid down in my bed and I started to cry. I was overwhelmed. I was sad. I was stressed out. I felt a heaviness that I felt before in my life. Of course, I'm not immune to sadness. We all experience the ups and downs. And this last year has been especially trying for so many people. And I lay there counting my blessings and thinking of all the things that are going right in my life. And yet this heaviness persisted. And I rolled to the side and I picked up my phone from its charger, you know, next to my bed. I opened up my browser to Google and I typed in the words, do I have depression? And what popped up was a bunch of links to the clinical test questions, the diagnostic criteria for depression. Now, these weren't unfamiliar to me. I've looked at them before during different times in my life where I've had some persistent sadness or kind of wondered, you know, is this an ongoing feeling of of sadness or is it something that I should do something about? But if you're unfamiliar with the diagnostic criteria for depression, I want to just read some of these questions to you. All of them start with this question, over the past two weeks, how often have you experienced the following? Because clinical depression is diagnosed by persistent feelings of of hopelessness or sadness over a two-week period. So if it lasts longer than two weeks, that's when you start to get into possibly needing some treatment. So over the past two weeks, how often have you experienced the following? Having little interest or pleasure in doing things. Feeling down, depressed, or hopeless. Having trouble falling or staying asleep or sleeping too much. Feeling tired or having little energy. Poor appetite or overeating. Feeling bad about yourself or that you're a failure or have let yourself or your family down. Trouble concentrating on things such as reading the news or watching television. Moving or speaking slowly that other people have noticed or the opposite, being so restless or fidgety that you're moving around a lot more than usual. Thought that you would be better off dead or of hurting yourself in some way. Feeling nervous, anxious, or on edge. Not being able to stop or control worrying. Worrying too much about different things. Trouble relaxing. Being so restless that it's hard to sit still. Becoming easily annoyed or irritable. Being afraid as if something awful might happen. Which one of the following symptoms is most challenging for you right now? Trouble sleeping, low energy, anxiety, agitation, difficulty concentrating. How much are your feelings interfering with your ability to participate in social activities like hanging out with friends? How much are your feelings affecting your ability to get along with your family and friends? How much are your feelings affecting your ability to focus and be effective at work and school? How much are your feelings affecting your ability to participate in and enjoy daily activities? How long have you been feeling this way? So I answered those questions honestly and surprised myself with some of the self-awareness that it sort of forced being able to look at not only the past two weeks, but the past several months for me, maybe even the whole past year in, in, in sections, right? In seasons and realize that the way that I 
have been feeling, the heaviness that I've been feeling really has been affecting me. Despite all of the things that I'm doing to take care of myself, despite feeling like I am aware of my mental health and consciously exercising, consciously writing in my gratitude journal, consciously making time for myself, making time for relationships, loving my family, loving my life, and at the same time, not liking it very much. Realizing that all of the things that I really, really love have felt kind of like a drag lately, that I haven't been as motivated or interested in things that are a big part of my normal joy and excitement in life. And I, I clicked that last button after honestly answering all of these questions and the diagnosis, you know, my Google diagnosis popped up that I had moderate to severe depression and that it encouraged me to seek medical attention. Well, my slow weeping (laughs) quickly increased to dramatic sobbing as I felt the sinking confirmation that I was not doing okay. We all want to do okay, right? We just want to feel good and we want to be productive and be moving through our lives with fulfillment and satisfaction and joy. And as those things over the last several months and over the last year have slowly been harder and harder to come by, the acknowledgement that there was something wrong, that it wasn't just in my head, but that it was in my head, that I needed help. I know a fair amount about mental health and mental health disorders. In fact, we've often joked in my immediate family that we have very strong physical health genes, but we're all a little bit mentally ill, (laughs) which is not much of a joke. I know it's kind of bad to joke like that, but we in my immediate family have a lot of mental health diagnoses. We know my siblings and I and my parents and our children, we, we acknowledge that and we know there's a family history and a genetic component to depression and anxiety and ADD and bipolar disorder. And these things are part of my genetic code in one way or another. And even for people who they're not, who don't have any family history of mental illness, these are clinical diagnoses that go beyond just feeling sad or feeling like you're having a hard time because yeah, everyone has a hard time every now and then. And sometimes there's a biological component that can't be overridden by lifestyle changes. As I lay there sobbing, trying to figure out what to do next, I was surprised by the idea that I didn't really know exactly what to do next. When Dave came up to bed and and checked on me and found me, you know, red-faced and was so worried about me and so kind and loving and thoughtful and and we sat there and I said, what do I do? Like, what do I do now? And he said, well, you probably should talk to someone. Do you want me to call someone for you? I could call a, a therapist or we could call your doctor. And I said, I don't, I don't know. Isn't that funny that I don't know that I don't know who the right person is to talk to. And then actually this is interesting because this isn't my first experience with depression. Although this was the first time that I had had 
Google tell me that, yes, in fact, <laughs> I, I was <laughs> currently moderately to severely depressed. But just to give you a little bit of a background in history, I was severely depressed during my pregnancies, but I had no idea. Because while I had learned so much in nursing school and from the media and from my my midwives about watching out for the signs and symptoms of postpartum depression, no one had ever mentioned perinatal depression. No one had ever mentioned the possibility that I could be clinically depressed while I was pregnant. And so I suffered so greatly during my pregnancies, not understanding that all of the symptoms that I had of feeling so down and so much lack of motivation, so much lack of interest in my life and inability to take care of my other children. When I was pregnant with my second child, I moved home for like four months because I couldn't physically take care of my toddler while I was pregnant. I was so sick. I had suicidal thoughts while I was pregnant, not thoughts of harming myself, but of wishing that I was no longer alive. And that was all very real and yet not something that I ever talked to my doctors about because I didn't know that it was valid. I didn't know that it was something that I could be experiencing. And then when I had the babies and I immediately felt better and felt the cloud move from above me, I thought, oh, how great that I don't have postpartum depression, which I've been, you know, on the lookout for. And like, oh, I'm just so grateful that I don't have depression, (laughs) which how silly because I, I did so bad. And it wasn't until I heard about perinatal depression being an actual thing and that there was help and medication and therapy that women could do during pregnancy that I look back with such different eyes on my experience and realize that no one threw me a rope and I didn't know. Like, how can you know unless someone tells you? How can you know how to take care of yourself if you don't know that what you're experiencing is real. There's a couple other shorter time periods in my life when I can, like in looking back, say I definitely was experiencing some depression, but I had never sought out medical attention or psychological help. I even believing that mental illness is real and that mental health is important, I never took myself to that next step of acknowledging that there was something that I could or should do about it other than within myself. I would, you know, seek out positivity and slow things down and take a break where I needed to. And all of that is good and all of that is important as well. And what I wanted to share in this episode is that sometimes that isn't quite enough and that's okay. A funny story (laughs) back in July when we had been experiencing the pandemic for, you know, six months and my kids had been out of school that whole time. I had been managing and coping with all of my skills. I was just using everything that I could 
positive thinking, gratitude, journaling, spending a lot of time outside, exercising, eating well, drinking a lot of water, being in the sun, making sure that we were doing things that we enjoyed doing, taking a lot of pressure off myself so I wasn't super stressed out. I I was just like managing as well as I could, functioning as well as possible. And, you know, this is after I mentioned in an episode several months ago how I think I spent most of April and May just in bed. Like I would get up for some things, but my kids weren't going to school. I didn't have any appointments. I didn't have anything really I needed to do. And so I just sort of didn't, you know, definitely experiencing some depression there. I had felt like with the summertime that I was coming out of the clouds a little bit and I was feeling pretty good and pretty hopeful because a lot of schools had announced that their kids were that the kids were going back in person and I remember that our district was, you know, going to be making a decision about this and so I got onto the school board meeting virtually and was watching and I watched as they voted down the initiative to try to get kids back in school for the for the the year for this 2020-2021 school year and I broke down. I just was so sad. And you know, that point where you feel like I can do it right now, but if it gets any worse then I, I can't do it anymore. That's how I felt like I'm, I'm just treading water. And I felt like someone pushed my head under the water when I was looking at this next year that I was going to be trying to manage again, you know, just this this hard year, right? That we've all experienced the difficulty in different ways. Dave, my sweet, loving, supportive partner said, I'm going to call someone for you. Can I call someone for you? And so he looked at our insurance and called a, a psychiatrist. And I had an appointment a couple days later and I got on this Zoom appointment. And this is the first time that I had had an appointment with a psychiatrist with any sort of mental health professional. And she was going through her sort of initial questionnaire. And because of her focus in psychiatry, there was a lot of questioning about, do I hear voices? Do I see things that aren't there? The criteria that she was looking at was definitely a lot more serious than what I was experiencing, like this, some sadness and overwhelm looking at the year ahead and she sort of I think she it just wasn't a great fit and maybe she what I wasn't what she expected and she wasn't what I expected because the end of the conversation she was like ah I think it's all normal like I think you're fine and we're all feeling the same way I have kids that aren't going to school too and you know we sort of just ended up having this this chat the other thing that happened that's so interesting is that at that moment that I was talking to her I didn't feel as sad. I felt like, okay, I had kind of like pulled myself up and thought, okay, how are we going to do this? And I had come up with a bunch of ideas for homeschooling and had kind of found some enthusiasm around it. And so when I was speaking with her, all of that, I had kind of pushed down the, the deeper feelings. So of course, I, it was really easy to act like everything was totally okay, which I have to say, it has been okay and not okay. Depression for me hasn't felt like every single day I don't want to get out of bed. I've been able to to get up and to do things and to plan things for work and to move forward with projects around the house. And I'm able to muster up excitement for things. And at the same time, I've had this baseline deep grief. 
and deep weight, a heaviness that I can sort of come up from and then feel like it pulls me back down. In this moment, this night of Googling, do I have depression? (laughs) We didn't make any firm decisions except for that maybe I should talk to someone and I didn't know exactly who that is. Luckily, a couple days later, I was on a phone call with one of my good friends, Rachel Nilsson. You all probably know her from the 3 and 30 podcast. And Rachel has also had experiences with mental health um, with herself and with family members. And she has some great episodes about it. And as I was talking to her about just candidly how I was feeling, she said, you know, Miranda, you probably should call your doctor. Just call your regular doctor, tell her about how you're feeling and ask her if there's something that you could take or someone that she recommends talking to. It was having Rachel offer me this rope when I was at the bottom of my pit that gave me the confidence that I needed to say, okay, I can ask for help. I do want to help myself. And the way that I help myself is by seeking out the attention that I need I expressed to Rachel how it was really easy to feel like a fraud. Like my whole message is about seeking out a life of intention and adventure and creativity. And how could I represent that as also a person who experiences clinical depression? How can I tell people to, you know, think positively and to be grateful and to, you know, use all of the tools that I share about the advantages of optimism and looking on the bright side, finding silver linings, learning from our experiences, trusting the process when I am not okay all the time. It has felt like new water to not only have to talk the talk, but also walk the walk of taking care of myself in the way that I encourage you, my listeners, to take care of yourselves and to advocate for yourselves, to say, I need help and to seek it out is a little scary. I have to just acknowledge that it's scary and it can feel like you did something wrong, like you're not strong enough, like how can you be a happy person and also have depression? The next day, I called my doctor and I made an appointment to go in and sit with her. And that day that I went in, I felt fine. I had gotten up and gone on a run and I'd taken a shower and gotten dressed and had my makeup on and I went in and she said, so, you know, you called and and actually one interesting thing is that I had had a physical a couple weeks before, like two weeks prior. And when she asked about how I'd been feeling, I said, well, as well as can be expected. You know, everyone's kind of going through hard things right now. So it's been a hard year, but I'm feeling, I think, as well as can be expected, which I think was me downplaying that like everyone must feel the way that I feel. And when I brought that up, I said, you know, when you asked me a couple of weeks ago how I was feeling, I said as well as can be expected, but I have since talked to some friends and took this online depression quiz and talked to my husband. And I think that some of the things I'm feeling maybe aren't normal. They maybe aren't just the the same sort of overwhelm and stress that we're feeling collectively as a community, but that maybe some of it's a little deeper. And I went on to explain some of the feelings that I'd had of persistent 
overwhelm, persistent sadness, disinterest in things that I normally love. And also this kind of weird feeling that I'd have of wanting to escape and kind of like numb out. I think I've been using fiction novels as a way to just escape and not have to think about anything, which is, I'm going to say, a totally healthy and fine coping mechanism, but recognizing that I wanted to spend all of my free time in a book because I could escape some of the sadness, some of the weight, not even just like sadness, but just heaviness and weight. And in the spirit of candidness in this episode and openness, as I'm sharing, you know, personal information with you, um, one of the things that was a little bit interesting and unusual was that I kept having these fantasies about taking drugs, which is so odd, right? I, I have never taken drugs. I grew up in a very religious environment where drugs were morally and legally wrong. Uh, and I've never really had a, a lot of interest in him. I don't have much of an addictive personality. And I, throughout the pandemic, have had these thoughts of like, ah, I wonder what it would be like to just like take drugs and be floating in the ether for a while or to just numb out and not have to feel anything and just know that it was all like have everything fade away for a while and I don't even know like what drugs I would take or how to how I would get them or like I I was like it's it was just this weird thought of like gosh I can totally see why people escape into drugs and alcohol as a numbing mechanism when things are hard because the ability to physiologically wipe the slate for a while has some appeal when your base level of emotion is difficult. My doctor said, you know, it sounds like you would benefit from a low dose of an SSRI, a serotonin uptake inhibitor, that hormonally, physiologically, prevents your brain from absorbing so much of the serotonin, which is a hormone that helps you feel well, it helps you feel happy and have a positive outlook. And when there's not enough of it in your body, in your bloodstream, you can feel some of that hopelessness. And clinical depression is linked to low levels of serotonin around your body. And so when you take this antidepressant, it keeps some of that in your in your system so that you can overcome the feelings of of sadness. It's a hormonal imbalance that can be corrected through a low-dose medication. And I said I was willing to try it, and she also recommended that it could be helpful to talk to someone as well. I have to mention that I have a coach, a mindset coach. I have good nutrition. I understand the importance of sleep. I love to exercise. I have friends. And yet, hormonally, chemically, it is possible to have periods of depression that may require medication. I started taking a low dose of an antidepressant and the next day it was like a a switch flipped and I felt like myself. And over the last two months, as I've taken this tiny white pill every day, I have come home to myself. I have 
been able to feel like myself, that weight is gone and the persistent sadness, heaviness, disinterest, and desire to escape is gone. Now, of course, my life still has the ups and downs, but it's the ups and downs of who I actually am, the ups and downs of my normal life without being underwater. I've been thinking about this whole situation a lot, and one of the things that have come to mind for me as a visual, sort of a visualization of what's going on for me is that all of the difficult things in our lives, we respond with some level of coping. There's healthy coping mechanisms and there's unhealthy coping mechanisms. Now, over the last year, especially situationally, collectively, we've all experienced some things that were unexpected and difficult, and that has affected us differently. Some people are more affected than others, but I would say globally, there has been a situation, circumstantial, that has affected everyone on some level. Now add to that whatever is challenging in your regular life. For me, some of the things that I know have been difficult are the winter. I know that I'm affected by the winter. There is a form of clinical depression called seasonal affective disorder that I've always sort of said that I had. But in the past, I've been able to use my coping mechanisms like traveling in the winter to warm places or making sure that I have lots of interactions with friends and family, you know, gathering people together, having fun dinner parties, doing book club. I've had all of these available coping mechanisms to help counteract some of the difficulty of my effectiveness in the winter. The schools being closed has been really hard for a lot of moms, including myself. Having the amount of time under quarantine, you know, we've talked a lot about hitting this burnout, the pandemic burnout, the pandemic wall, and that affects us all differently. What it feels like though, is that a lot of the coping mechanisms that we have in our regular lives have been taken away. I've had some business burnout. Some of that has to do with the pandemic. Some of it has to do with generally as an entrepreneur, a lot of energy is required creatively, logistically, managerially, self-management wise. I mean, you just have to, you do it all, especially when you're a solo entrepreneur. And that can feel like a lot sometimes. I think of like a layer cake where there's all of these different layers of things that are difficult. I mean, cake isn't difficult, right? But imagine this, all the different layers of things that are difficult. And then if you can stack up the coping mechanisms next to them so that they balance, like you have all of these things that are affecting you and then all of the things that you do to counterbalance that. That's where the positive thinking and the gratitude and the sleep and drinking a lot of water and being in generally good physical health and trying to avoid stressful situations and the mindset work, all of those things balance. And at some point, if the difficulties, the situation or your physiology are more than your coping can reach, then there's more that needs to be done that might not be able to be done just with your own self. Maybe you need extra help. Maybe you can't dig yourself out of the hole. Maybe the ladder only goes up halfway and you can get to the top of your ladder and you can be helping yourself so much and still need a little extra help. That's the point that I felt like I have been at. And I want to acknowledge too that 
Sometimes you're at the bottom of the ladder of helping yourself, but because you hormonally need some additional motivation, like maybe you're, you don't have the motivation to exercise or to try to take care of yourself because of depression itself. Maybe you start with medical help that then enables you to help yourself even more. Another way that I've been thinking about this is in terms of my experience with diabetes. I worked as a nurse, as a full-time diabetes educator for many years. And diabetes, if you're unfamiliar, I mean, I think a lot of people are familiar with diabetes itself, but particularly type 2 diabetes happens in people when their cells stop responding to insulin. They become insulin resistant. Now, just a quick physiology lesson. Insulin is created by your pancreas. It's a hormone that helps carry glucose or sugar into your cells. And glucose is our cells, one of our cells' major forms of energy. So our cells need glucose. Insulin helps our cells absorb it. It's kind of like it backpacks together so that our cells can absorb it. So if you if your cells are insulin resistant, that means that they won't absorb the glucose and then it's higher in your bloodstream. That's basically like a very nutshell version of type 2 diabetes. Now, when I was working as a diabetes educator, I would have patients come in who were had all of the symptoms of type 2 diabetes and had been diagnosed, and they said, I really want to manage this with my lifestyle. And so we would say, okay, let's try. We'd do a nutrition plan. We'd do an exercise plan. They'd come in every two weeks for a couple months, and we would monitor their hormone levels, their blood sugar levels, their A1C, and we'd see how it how it works like you know all of those things can be affected somewhat their their cells would be a little bit more receptive to insulin some of that insulin resistance would would decrease as their exercise increased of course nutrition affects the amount of glucose that you have because of the the you know that's how you get glucose into your system is by eating mostly and so we would see and in some patients we would recognize okay this is what's happening hormonally in your body and with these lifestyle changes, you can manage it well. And so, you know, carry on. And I had patients that we would say, okay, this is what's happening on a cellular level with your hormones. And we're trying to manage it with some lifestyle. And sometimes that still wasn't quite enough. They, you know, you you could do all the management that they could need. And on occasion, They still needed to either take a medication or take insulin. There was there was something medically necessary in addition to lifestyle changes. And I have been thinking a lot about how clinical depression and mental health disorders are that. I mean, they they mimic that. You can do therapy, you can do a lot of things to help improve your mental health on a lifestyle day-to-day basis. And what happens if hormonally, physiologically, those things don't completely solve the problem or correct what's happening? It's really easy, I think, because of the stigma around mental health. And I know it's getting better, but generally, I mean, just from personal experience, being aware and feeling like I care a lot about mental health and I would encourage anyone who needs help mentally to seek it out yet still when i was the one who needed help 
I had to hesitate and I needed a lot of encouragement and I needed friends and family to say, it's okay for you to get this help, that it's okay to not do it all yourself without that help. That tells me that we, we still have a ways to go. If I say, oh, it's okay for everyone else to take antidepressants if they need them, but it's not okay for me because I'm stronger than that, or I don't want to be someone who's taking an antidepressant because that means that I failed, you know, that if you relate to that idea of like, it's great for other people to take care of themselves. And yet maybe I can do this on my own, or if I'm struggling, that means I just need to do better. That means I need to think more positively. I would encourage you to consider that if you are having a hard time persistently, if you are struggling regularly, if the feelings that you're having of overwhelm and sadness and grief and frustration or feeling like a failure, feeling like you're not doing it well enough are persistent, it's okay if you need extra help. It's I want to encourage you if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I really could use some help to get it. And if you're listening and you're like, you know, I've never really felt like that and I, I don't I don't have, you know, I don't struggle with that, but you see people around you who could use that rope, who could use that support and that encouragement, know that you can help by not only saying, I believe how you're feeling. I validate that. I know that that's real for you. And also I encourage you to seek out whatever help it is that you need. I love, as I've talked to Dave about this, over and over again, uh, one of the things that he keeps coming back to is the type of help that you need doesn't matter. What matters is being able to feel good, being able to be interested in your life and enjoy your life and the regular ups and downs of life without the added difficulties of that sadness, that persistent weight. Depression itself has many different faces and many different solutions. I want to just quickly list some of the different clinical diagnoses of depression. I was talking to a friend earlier this week who said, I didn't know that you could take depression medication for a short period of time. I thought that like if you were clinically depressed, that was a persistent long-term mental health disorder that like didn't have a cure and it didn't have, uh, you know, it was like you, you are depressed, you get on medication and you never don't take it. And I said, no, I don't, that's not actually, (laughs) it's not actually the way that depression works. You can have situational depression. I'm planning to take medication for six months uh, and see how I'm feeling without it after I actually went into my doctor two weeks after I started taking it and said, you know, I feel great. I think, I think it's working and I think I'm better. And she said, you know, I think the reason that you feel better is because of the medication. So let's, let's give it six months and then, you know, you can, you can stop, um, if you want, see how we feel. I also asked her about seasonal affective disorder, knowing that the winter has always been difficult for me. And she said, there are lots of people who take medication just during the winter because, of their seasonal affective disorder. They can take a low-dose medication, they can use a, a happy light or a therapy light, and then when the summer comes, the sunshine heals. 
You can have, of course, perinatal depression, where you are depressed during pregnancy. We all know a lot about postpartum depression, and yet still, I think some people don't acknowledge it. They feel all of the weight and hardness, and they also think, of course, this is hard. I have a new baby. Thinking something is hard and difficult and being able to manage it or cope with it is different than feeling like it's hard and difficult and feeling yourself slowly fading away, feeling yourself slowly being pulled under. There are people who have persistent depression disorder, which is having depression that lasts longer than two years. That is that persistent depression that may, you know, or chronic depression that may require longer term medication and therapy. There's bipolar disorder, which is bouts of depression with bouts of mania or high energy that uh, is a more of a long-term situation. There's psychotic depression that has different hallucinations and delusions. There's premenstrual dysphoric disorder, which is PMDD. It's depression at the beginning of your period. So not PMS, but PMDD, where you have all of these really difficult feelings around your period. There's situational depression, which isn't a technical psychological term, but trouble managing a stressful event or stressful events in your life. And psychotherapy and medication can help you get through that, like at, give you that added boost, like that just a, a, a couple extra rungs on your ladder to be able to get through difficult situations. Experiencing depression doesn't necessarily mean that you will always experience depression. It is helpful, though, to know that if it's something that you struggle with, that you may want to be more aware of your tendencies and acknowledge, you know, at some points I may need help with this. I can do all of the things that I can do by myself, and at some points I may need a little extra lift. I may need a little extra help. My purpose in sharing this episode is, like I mentioned at the beginning, to hand a rope down into the hole for those of you who may need that help now or later. Maybe right now you feel fine and maybe at some point a situation will come along or or something will happen in your life where you will feel a burden too heavy to bear on your own. And you may need to be able to think hey, I, I know that Miranda has struggled with that before and not only gone on long runs and listened to great books and talked to friends and drank a lot of water and slept, but also that for a while she needed a medication and some therapy to help her out and that that worked and that it helped her feel great like herself again. If you're struggling, the most important thing is that you get help that you talk to someone, whether that's friends or family or whether that's your doctor. And while I wouldn't always suggest Google as your first source of medical information, it was really helpful for me to just take that step and ask myself, is what I'm feeling normal? Is this how I want to feel? What can I do to get back to feeling like myself? What can I do to get back to loving my life and liking it? I hope that this episode has been helpful for some of you in bringing some awareness to mental health, to its reality, 
Sometimes the strong thing isn't doing it on your own. Sometimes the strong thing is acknowledging that you need someone else to help. I want to thank you so much for listening in and for your love and support. I appreciate all of you. And if you're new to the show, (laughs) there's a lot of goodness and a lot of honesty happening over here. Go ahead and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. If you are loving Live Free Creative and you've been listening for a while and you're not yet supporting the show on Patreon for just $6 a month, you get a bonus episode, you can join our digital book club, and it also just helps me continue to produce these shows by myself, in my bedroom, in my pajamas. So thank you so much for your support. Go to patreon.com slash livefreecreative if you want to offer your pledge. Finally, I want to invite all of you to Grown Up Summer Camp. There's just a handful of spots left, and it would be so fun to be able to hang out with you this summer in Idaho. Visit livefreecreative.co backslash summer camp, and I hope to see you there. Have a wonderful week. I'll chat with you next time. Bye-bye. the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.